I'm Jana, the little sister. And I'm Jeff, her big brother. Welcome to Sibling Rivalry, a podcast about our favorite sport, baseball. This week on Sibling Rivalry Baseball, we check in on the most hated team in America and take a trip to Cooperstown. You know, I think I am the most hated at my house, and I'm shooting for the Hall of Mediocrity. I think that's in Schenectady. All right, now we hope to elevate our status with some stellar SRBB headlines. Willard Scott, America's favorite weatherman, has died. He was 87 years old. Scott began his career at NBC as an entry-level page at an affiliate station in Washington, D.C. He later became the weatherman on the Today Show and was a fixture for over 30 years. His birthday greetings to Centarians was his trademark. Baseball must be in its last days of the season because the NFL regular season starts this week, tonight to be exact. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys versus the defending champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kick it off. And they're followed by a full slate of games on Sunday, including the Packers versus the Drew Breesless Saints. Monday night, the Ravens travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders. The regular season ends on January 9th. Playoffs start the 15th of January and the Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, is on the 13th of February. The first American woman in space, Sally Ride, will now have a part of the 101 freeway named after her. The Dr. Sally Ride Memorial Highway will run through her hometown of Encino, California. The California State Legislature passed the resolution to honor Ride. She is the youngest person to go into space. She was 32 when she launched into space in 1983, and she died in 2012 of pancreatic cancer at the age of 61. Michael K. Williams, who played Omar Little in The Wire, was found dead on September 6th. Williams, who has openly spoken about his addiction issues throughout his life, starting in his teen years, died of a suspected heroin overdose. He has received numerous accolades throughout his acting career. People often wondered about the scar on his face. It was real, sustained when trying to break up a fight. Michael starred in numerous HBO series, including Boardwalk Empire and Lovecraft Country, in addition to The Wire. He was 54. You can find these and past week's headlines on our website, SiblingRivalryBB.com. Remember to rate and subscribe wherever you listen, and tell a friend to listen to the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Seems like we have a tradition here at SRBB. We get excited about one thing and we kind of forget about some other part of the big story. Like last week with the Little League World Series, we were so excited about the overall Little League World Series and how it went and Gavin Weir and and Hawaii and all that stuff that we really forgot that the biggest thing that happened, which we did mention, but not very well, was Michigan won their first title since 1959. Ohio sent a team to the Little League World Series championship game for the first time ever. And and it was the first time that two teams from the same region met in a championship game. Of course, we know that with international play, usually the winner of, of the, uh, the U.S., plays the international team for the series. So that's probably easy why that didn't happen in quite a while since whenever, since before, but it never happened before the international teams came in. So Michigan won five to two over Ohio. 
Ethan Van Bell pitched through four innings. He threw his 85 pitches, so he couldn't uh, he couldn't uh, continue on. But he did get out of a bases loaded jam. Uh, he pitched well enough to keep his uh, team in it. Jackson Surma fueled the uh, three-run first inning with a two-run double. The other kid that I wanted to mention from Michigan, Jacob Furcus, who um, he's kind of, he's got kind of bushy hair. He's got those weird like 70s glasses, and uh, but he quite a pitcher, and he got them into the championship series with his outing in the division title game. Uh, Ohio had uh, a couple of players that helped fuel them throughout Cooper Clay and Cooper Odin. The Coopers uh, helped them out there um, in uh, in the game versus Michigan. Uh, Gavin Saylor had two hits. Chase Moak scored both of the runs. But uh, Michigan walks away five to two and the 2021 Little League World Series champs. All right, big uh, big happenings uh, coming up in the baseball world as uh, as mentioned. Traveling to Cooperstown for what? Because I think they've got good pretzels there or something, right? In Cooperstown, isn't that why we go to Cooperstown? That's, yeah, that's what I've heard. They're really really good, and that's why they're like the uh, home of the pretzels. The pretzel and I think home. they're shaped a little differently than like a normal pretzel. So. Oh. Okay, not a stick or that twisty. No, I think it was like a baseball or something like a baseball. Baseball, shape. maybe baseball and bat together. Yeah. So every every year, except last year, everybody heads to Cooperstown to get themselves a pretzel, and then to induct some players into the Hall of Fame or something like that. Yeah, this year, Derek Jeter, Larry Walker. Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons have all been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay, we need Next. a disclaimer. That was last year that they got in that they got selected. Offic- right, officially inducted. They have been officially inducted. That happened yesterday. All right, so these guys are all going in. The, there's no 2021 class since these guys are technically the 2020 class. And we know why there wasn't an induction ceremony last year. So the question is, should there have been anybody this year? Well, I guess it throws everything off, right? Because now you're, but would they, if they were inducted this year, they would be the class of 2021. And then they just have more people at the induction ceremony. Right, they would have had all of that, so, but but if you recall, the people who were kind of at the top of the list were all the controversial players now. Oh, right, that's that true. are getting towards the end of um end of their time on the on the right, ballot on the ballots. That's right. So yes. you know, the question is, will it's all Barry Bonds overcome now. what happened with him? Kurt Schilling asked to be completely taken off, and we talked about that at the time. Yeah. Roger Clemens. These are all guys who, and here's, here's my question before we get into a little details about the 2020 class, should we look at these guys in the era they played and say they deserve to be in here because, you know, Barry Bonds became a monster in, in the sense of his physic his physique and all of that. You could tell the difference between what he, how he looked in Pittsburgh where he was already having a, a great career versus 
how he was later in San Francisco. And we know like Mark McGuire had injury issues. He stopped having as many injury issues, which allowed him to hit more home runs. I believe he could have hit them without it, but he couldn't have because he was injured often. And I think some of that came down to his physique. You know, um, so should they be allowed in based off of the air they played? If Roger, if you if you went up against Roger Clemens and you beat him and Roger Clemens was taking steroids, isn't that uh, apples and apples? It is apples and apples. I guess I would throw in the same thing. If these guys are allowed to be on the ballot, then I think Pete Rose should be on the ballot because, yes, he gambled, but he didn't do anything to manipulate the game. He wasn't hurt, you know, he didn't hurt anyone. He was was hurting himself because he made a bad choice. The same thing with these guys. They made a bad choice. They ultimately, we'll see down the line, they probably hurt themselves in some fashion. Um, So, yeah, if we look at it that way, why not? Why wouldn't they be? Because they really did propel baseball into the spotlight. Well, and I think McGuire and Sosa helped save what was going on with baseball at that point. Yeah, We may not have as good of a product going on right now. Um, well, we may not have any product because they may have been fighting and people may have stopped going just simply because of the way that they they did. So... Yeah, I don't I I know that's a question that I'm not sure that the sports writers cuz sometimes they they won't vote for somebody just because they were contentious with that particular player. Right, yeah, they do that. They have their own little ear, you know, oh that guy, he wouldn't give me the interview or whatever and right. instead of looking at the whole body of work. I would be fine with uh Barry Bonds and, you know, Mark McGuire or those guys going into the hall. But Pete Rose has to be just they, no vote. Just Pete Rose goes into the hall. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that fully. This is my um, hostage negotiation <laughs> for the <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> so this year we have um, the, the players. All of them are solid guys. Nobody was ever considered a uh, a cheater that I'm aware of. Uh, obviously, Derek Jeter is the biggest name of the three. When you look at his numbers, though, um, there's other players that were better or at least the same. I think part of what brings Jeter in is he was part of championship teams. He was he was consistent across the board and. If he wasn't a solid citizen, we didn't know it. Right. We we didn't know. And he's still in baseball with the Marlins. So he's, you know, he's still contributing. And I think um, for him, it's really that he was with the Yankees, you know, 20 years, five World Series titles. He was the, you know, the captain of the Yankees. Um, right. but yeah, he had a 310 batting average, 3465 hits, 260 home runs, you know, um 1300 RBIs, 
a little over 1,900 runs scored. But he had five Gold Glove awards. Um, he did win the Rookie of the Year, five Silver Slugger awards. He was um, in one of the World Series. He was the MVP. This was his first year on the ballot. I think he received all but one vote from the uh, Baseball Writers Association electors. That always so. makes me laugh that, you know, so far there's only been one unanimous Mm-hmm. And that was Jeter's teammate, Mariano. Mariano Rivera. Yep. Have you seen his commercial? There's a commercial where it's like for um, for like a job uh, board or whatever. And he's oh there. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like he's got you need good lighting. He's got this big old light. <laughs> yeah. Like, turns on a little circle light. He's like that works too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got all the old school. He's looking at videotapes. She's looking on the computer. He's doing, he's doing figure out your worth. He's got a calculator. Yeah. Yeah. I think out of the, the three players, obviously, like you said, Derek Jeter is probably the most recognized. The next guy, not as recognizable to a lot of baseball Fans or just people, you know, if they have a casual knowledge of baseball. But if you are a Rockies fan, you know this name, and that is Larry Walker. I think if you're a Cardinals fan, you know his name as well. Well, and if you were an Expos fan uh, True. back in the day. The reason I bring up the Cardinals, though, is that he was big for them in the 2004 World Series, even though true. they didn't win it. Yeah. Yeah, he... um he played 17 seasons for the Rockies, the Expos, and the Cardinals. Um, he won seven Gold Glove Awards, one MVP award, three Silver Slugger awards. He is the first Rockies uh, player to be elected to the Hall of Fame. And the Rockies will be retiring his number uh, this month. Well, that happens a lot that teams will retire the number of a player who makes it into the Hall of Fame. Now, that was the big question, was his time in Colorado, does that disqualify him for the Hall of Fame? But I've been thinking about this. I watch games where they're in in Denver. I don't see all of this mystique. And, you know, maybe at the beginning it was because it was different. But everybody's figured it out. The pitchers pitch better there than they used to. Uh, you know, there's still some atmospheric issues that they deal with, but they they overcome them while they're there. It's probably more physical issues that that are in play there for uh, for them than it is because you live in a in the area you live higher than Denver. Yes. Every day you're out doing stuff. Now, sure, you've lived there for a long time, and so you may be more acclimated, but when I'm there, of course, I'm not as physical and playing a, a game like they are. But I think that, you know, he acclimated to that. He didn't. I don't think his numbers are any greater because he played there. You know, it's supposed to be home run heaven. He only had 383 career home runs. And he his batting average was 313, you know, lifetime. Um, if you look at Derek Jeter, he had 310 batting average. So they did have the same amount of RBIs, though. Yeah, exactly the same. Exactly. Larry Walker had a 72.7 war over his career. And he played, what, 17 seasons total. And and Derek Jeter played 20 and he's at 71.3. 
Now that point isn't probably a big deal either all because it, either way, but they, you know, it's who they are and how they play. Like I said, there's a lot of the, a lot of who Derek Jeter was as a person that helped along with being a solid baseball player. Uh, Larry Walker, once again, not somebody you ever heard anything bad about that I recall. So I think that any questions about him deserving to be there, I think you could still go back and say, does Harold Baines belong in the Hall of Fame? But I think Her- I think Larry Walker clearly did. You know, he, he didn't hit the thresholds. Usually, you know, 500 home runs is automatic. I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore, but but he he had a solid career. He hit 357 in the 2004 World Series and helped uh, you know fuel the the Cardinals during that time. So I, I think he's there, and his numbers are uh, a little bit better than than Jeter's. And Jeter played longer. Yeah, they played different positions, so maybe the fielding that Jeter had to do more wear and tear because he's moving more than Larry Walker, who was an outfielder when, uh, you know, he never played, um, he never played in the American league. So he was never a DH. So he didn't get like years of just hitting only. Finally, uh, a guy that I got to see play a lot as a kid, he had long hair. And, uh, I remember mostly as a Cardinal and that would be Ted Simmons who was in via the veterans committee. A solid catcher, one of those guys kind of under the radar. If we go by, you know, numbers that we look at today, like war, he only had a 50 war, but he was a catcher. I don't know where he ranks amounting other catchers. We could look at Yachty Molina, uh, who will probably be in the Hall of Fame. What are his number like? His numbers like another Cardinal catcher. Uh, well, so, so Simmons is among those he who played at least 50% of their games at catcher. He ranks second in hits, second in doubles, second in RBI and fifth in runs. Um, yeah, he put, he caught 1,771 games of the 2,456 games that he played in his career. So that was it. He did play later on. He played some first base and third little outfield, uh, but like Johnny Bench did that as well. Some catchers, they they that was towards the end of their career, or if they needed it, they wanted him in, but uh, they needed a day off from. And he wasn't like like there's a lot of catchers now. You see, they're all down on a knee. He and Bench and and those were constantly uh, squatting. They weren't they weren't down on a knee. They weren't taking a rest. They were down because they knew they could move better. He had a career uh, 986 fielding percentage. Well, he was the first catcher to start the All-Star game for both the National League and the American League. He started behind the plate for the NL in the 1978 All-Star game and then for the AL in the 1983 All-Star game. And who was he with in 1983 that he started with the uh, the American League? The Brewers. That's right. Back in the day. <laughs> Before they readjusted everybody, and the Brewers were an American League team. Yep. The Asterix were a National League team. Uh, and finally, uh, Marvin Miller. Now, if you don't know who Marvin Miller is, you're probably not alone. He was a uh, a big union guy. Started off 
like with the the Teamsters or, or one of those, you know, early on in his career. In 1966, he went out and started campaigning at all the spring training sites to be elected the president of the MLBPA. He was elected in a landslide and was there until what year did he? Leave? 1982. That's right. 1982. So from 66 to 82, Marvin Miller. So he was there when Kurt Flood uh, sued the, uh, the uh, Cardinals for the trade. He didn't want to be traded to the Phillies. He felt it was a slight to him. Um, and at that point, the Phillies had the worst ballpark. They just weren't a good team. So he felt like it was, he was being, um, he was, you know, controlled and all that. And the reserve clause is something we can get into at another time, but he, thanks to Marvin Miller, he helped building it so that the players, uh, had a little more say about their careers. Um, under him, the average yearly salary in 1966 was for a player was 19,000 a year. Doesn't seem like much now. Then it was pretty decent money in 66. But by the time he left in 1982, the average salary had gone up to 326000 a year, which even now is a pretty decent yearly wage. In 92, Red Barber said of Marvin Miller, said along with Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson, he's one of the two or three most important men in baseball history. So we've got the the four guys going in this year. No new entries from 2021, and uh, next year is going to be interesting because we've got guys who are on the on the verge of falling off, or within a couple of years, will they get enough? And that includes the steroid era guys. This year's Ford C. Frick Award winner, Al Michaels. He won the Ford C. Frick Broadcasting in Excellence Award. He is probably one of the most respected sports journalists. Um, he's covered more wow. major sports events than any other sportscaster, including in 20 years as the play-by-play voice of Monday Night Football. Um, he's called the Super Bowl, the World Series, NBA Finals, uh, Stanley Cup Finals, um, and... He's the Olympics. I mean, it just goes on boxing. It goes on and on and on. And he will begin his 16th year on Sunday night football coming up this week. It's time for Dodger baseball. Last year, about this time, we were talking about Cobra Kai and the Dodgers. The enemy deserves no mercy. And then we used other cliches like, don't take your foot off the gas. And things like that to tell them, you got to stay with it. You got to go hard to beat these guys. And I'm not sure. Last year, they, there was moments when it felt like they were showing no mercy and others where you're like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. We don't care. But, uh, the Dodgers. <laughs> so to start the week, and, and I will say they did have a winning week. To start the week, it felt like they were showing no mercy and putting the pedal to the metal. 
Yeah, they uh, started the week playing the Braves, and they swept the Braves, which it's always iffy that you don't know. The Braves, you know, right now are um, at the top of the East, and, you know, they've had some injuries, but um, you still got Freddie Freeman. They also had Jocelyn there. Who's right, like the gold golden boy now. I guess I don't know what they were calling him, but the, he, the, the Dodgers he had, had to face him twice this year. Yeah, with different teams. Exactly. Yeah, but they went in. Um, you had Julio Urias going for his fifteenth win uh, in the first game. He got that fifteenth win. Uh, the Dodgers win five to three. It's Mookie uh, Betts bobblehead night. Uh, he goes one for four, has a home run. Um, in fact, Max Muncie, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and Will Smith all have home runs in that first game. Corey's was a two-run homer. Yeah. They scored they, all their runs in the first three innings. Yep. Now, one thing that will stand out, and it stands out to me, is Chris Taylor was 0 for 4 in that game. Go to the next night, Dodgers win. With Walker Bueller on the mound, classic Walker. He's seven innings, so he goes the distance, the seven innings. Only five strikeouts is a little off for him, but he looked really good. Uh, gave up two runs. Uh, they had four hits. That's it. Kinley Jansen comes in with um, the save. That was his 30th save of the season. Uh, Mookie, another home run. Uh, Corey. Has an RBI in there. Chris Taylor. He's not playing in this game. He comes up as a pinch hitter. 0 for 1. He gets a sack fly. He gets an RBI. Um, But very, I mean, he gets the RBI, but it's very uncharacteristic. Go to the next night. You got Max Scherzer on the mound. Max Scherzer. He is just awesome. Six innings. Gives up three hits, no runs, strikes out nine, all while he feels like at the beginning of the game, some tightness in his hamstring. When I heard that, I was like, no, this cannot be happening. But he goes out, he gives the Dodgers six innings, Dodgers win that game, four to three. It's Corey Seager bobblehead night. Unfortunately, Corey went 0 for 3 on his night. Almost had a home run, but it wasn't quite enough. But uh, Max Muncy had a home run in that game. And a JT, triple. And a triple, yep. Uh, JT, uh, Austin Barnes, AJ Pollock, all with RBIs in that game. Chris Taylor, 0 for 3. So you're like, hey. Dodgers are looking good. They sweep the Braves, who are at the top of the East and who have always been one of those teams. You know, they battled with them um, in the postseason last year, and you never know. Dodgers sweep them. Dodgers are going to go to San Francisco. The most important series. This is the last time they're going to see the Giants for the regular season. couple of things before we go north. Yes. Okay. Jocelyn took Walker Bueller deep in that second game. So he got a he got a home run out of that. Charlie Morton, who just got an extension 
with the Braves uh, for another year. Had a pretty decent outing in that second game. Uh, only gave up one run on three hits in his six innings. It was the bullpen that uh, that gave up that game. And then I just thought it was interesting in the last game of the series that it was Max versus Max, and then another Max hit a home run and a triple. That's right. There were right. three Maxes, Max Freed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. For uh, and they had a pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent uh, pitcher. Not so much a duel, but uh, two good outings. Uh, Max Freed gave up two runs to Max Scherzer's no runs, but both of them struck out nine, and both of them pitched six innings, and both of them gave up three hits. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry that I uh, I made you get off the freeway on your ride up the 101. <laughs> it's to- okay. I needed Oracle a break. Bell, Oracle Bell. <laughs> Candlestick uh, stick Park. <laughs> park. Candle, Oracle Bell, Stick Park. <laughs> well, Dodgers made it up to San Francisco, and it's Friday night. So what does Friday night mean? Um, um, sushi? <laughs> Zinnings. Oh, that's right. I thought we had moved that to Wednesday night. I thought so, too, but apparently they... Maybe it was just temporary. Because the facility wasn't available the previous Friday, so they moved it to Wednesday. And they, okay, Friday well, night, it's Friday night innings. <laughs> Dodgers go with a bullpen game. They used eleven pitchers. I have some questions. They got Andrew Vasquez, who was uh, played with the Twins. They got him in a trade, uh, and they just got him like that week. You know the they. He just came with the team and they, he goes in and pitches like, you know, I think Corey Knable started the game and then you just go down the line, you know, Bickford, Vesia, uh, or Vesia, um, and then Trinan and Kelly and Jansen. But then you put in Andrew Vasquez who you've never, you know, you've seen pitch, but he hasn't pitched for the Dodgers. And then this is a big game. And then they put in Evan Phillips, who just got off the IL again. I mean, it's, I'm wondering why they're putting, I would slot pitchers in differently if I were Dave Roberts. Like I wouldn't put Trinan in, you know, in the seventh when I know he could come in. I mean, normally, I guess sometimes he does come in the seventh, but I like to see him a little bit later because then he's he really shuts things down. Kenley did a good job. Joe Kelly has done a good job, but like they were up in the middle and then you have these two guys that are untested. You don't know who they are. And anyway, the Dodgers ended up losing well, the game. they knew more about Evan Phillips than they That's did about, true. about yeah. um, Vasquez. That's true. But they lost the game three to two in Zinnings. It went 11. Uh, Will Smith was uh, played first base the end of the <laughs> in the 11th. Um, yeah, he never came played. in to take over first base for Albert, who had pinch hit. Then, because he was the last out, was the ghost runner. Mm hmm. And he he actually did something that the Dodgers aren't good at. On a fly ball, he, as hard as it was, moved from second to third. Yeah. And then they took him out for a pinch runner, who was? Walker Bueller. 
<laughs> who did end up scoring the the run and tied the game 2-2. Then you have, uh, then they put Austin Barnes in at catcher, Will Smith in at first. Will Smith has never played first base, ever. I don't think he, maybe played it in Little League, maybe. He never played it in the minors. He's never played it in the majors. Didn't play it in college. And San Francisco wins on a walk-off air. Trey Turner throws the ball a little too high. Uh, Will Smith get he catches, he gets the ball, but he can't keep his he can't keep his foot on the bag. And San Francisco wins. I mean, it's just like really, <laughs> what 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 is going on? <laughs> Where is Matt Beatty? When we need him to come in, he would have in. already been used as a pinch hitter somewhere. I, right, and they would have they would have blown that. And you know, it, it. A lot of people say, "Well, Will Smith never played first base before in any part of his career," but it wasn't his fault. No, he actually made a good play. To I mean, it, it the end result was the same because right. the run scored. But if you need him there, he might do in a pinch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there was some mismanagement in this game. I, I think there was. I mean, it just, you know, looking at the, how the pitchers were slotted in, uh, overall the Dodgers, I mean, everybody was, is always looking forward to Max Muncie going to San Francisco. And in this game, he was 0 for 3. Mookie Betts was 0 for 4. Trey Turner, 1 for 3, had an RBI. Corey Seager, four for five. Um, CT3 woke up, had one, one for three, was uh, had an RBI in the game. But Will Smith, very uncharacteristic, 0 for five for Will Smith. Very, like, you know, it's like, who are these people? Are these the same? You know, like in this old Scooby-Doo um, cartoons, you know, they peel off the mask and it's not, it's not it's Will Smith. Mr. It's old Mr. Fielder. <laughs> <laughs> the, right. the the store owner, the general store owner. <laughs> That's how it felt. So Dodgers lose the first game, three to two. Like, all right, it's okay. Because they came into the game and they were tied for first. So now we go into Saturday's game, and Julio Urias is on the mound. He goes five and two thirds innings, gives up eight hits, one run. Eight strikeouts, no homers, and the Dodgers win six to one. Now, to make up for the throwing error that he had the night before, Trey Turner gets up to bat and promptly hits a leadoff home run. And that starts, I think, the scoring for the Dodgers, kind of gets them them going. Uh, Corey Seager. One for three, two RBIs, had a home run in this game. Mookie Betts was one for four. Max Muncy, 0 for four. And it's like, you know you're in San Francisco, right? Why are you not hitting the ball into the water? What is going on? People can go get it out of the ocean. That's right. Not the bay. Well, it doesn't sound right. the cove. The ocean. Yeah. It's like, go get it out of the cove. That doesn't AJ, sound right. uh, AJ Pollock uh, with an RBI double in the game as Which, well. Yeah. And, but 
he had an awkward slide into third base and is now on the IL with a hamstring injury. It was a really weird slide. I'm not sure why he, they felt he needed to try to get third um, because, you know, I'm not sure the reasoning on that one either. But again, Chris Taylor, 0 for 4. But they won the game. And so now they are tied for first. Well, I'd like to say that it was because um, Jose Quintana, former of the Angels, is now a giant, was the main guy. But he went two-thirds scoreless because he inherited a runner, so that doesn't count against him, and that runner scored. And he had a balk and a wild pitch in two-thirds of an inning. Man, I really miss that guy from the Angels. Well, it's funny because in a sea of blue and black and orange, as it always is when these two teams match up, there was one guy in an Angels hat and a jersey. And he was there to see Jose Quintana. And then after he was out of the game, the guy left. I didn't see him again. <laughs> I was like, okay. He was a big fan, and he uh, was there, I guess, there uh, to cheer him on. The third game, you're like, all right, Dodgers have to do it, and we're going to do it because they're going to do it because Walker Bueller is on the mound. What does Walker Bueller do? You, you pick the fine time to fail me, Walker. <laughs> loaded the bases. I don't remember if he loaded the bases or not, but that just sounded I, good. It did. It, and it let went. them all score. We've had some fine times, but these are real bad times. And you just can't let them continue to score. You picked a fine time to fail us, Walker. <laughs> oh, Walker. Three Lucky innings. for you, I'm here all week. <laughs> Nowhere near someplace where people would hear me performing that live. Three innings, seven hits, six runs, six earned runs, one walk, one strikeout, gave up a home run. The Giants, who had not figured out Walker Bueller before, have now figured him out. There were some, uh, there were a lot of questions. Was he tipping pitches? Was there something going on? I don't think he was. I think he was just having a bad day. He you had just... a bad day. They took you on down. Anyway, um, maybe it was I should just bad. do the medley. It was just really bad. I mean, it's not what you expect. And for some, I can only imagine that he obviously was not happy with himself going into this big game because the Dodgers lose. A six to four. Now that was better because I just was so frustrated. I turned it off. It was six to two. <laughs> so I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Um, Max one for five in this game, but still, you know, not his San, Fro San Francisco esque. Could it be that they're bum garner less? It may be. He's missing. Bumgarner, and he needs that energy of 
<laughs> Bumgarner on the mound or because in this the team isn't dugout. the kind of team that's going after um that's got that same fire Bumgarner like yeah, fire or agitator. They don't. No, they don't. Uh Corey Seeger was 0 and 1 um at the plate, but he was walked three times. And I think a lot of that had to do with, with just his discipline at the plate, but also because of his previous two nights. Um, and then uh, here we go again, Chris Taylor, 0 for 4. In this game, um, just, you know, the the hero of the game that got the Dodgers within striking distance of being able to do something was Tio Alberto who hit a home run to run Homer um, in his pinch hitting um, when he pinch hit, but uh, you know, and then there are some people that were like, well, Mookie Betts in the ninth, there was a, the umpire called a strike when it actually was a ball and I've seen it. I went back and looked, but we can't, blame that i mean there he was the tying run but we all know that happens so but they dodgers, a lot it happens a lot yeah but the dodgers can't oh we lost it because of the umpire no you lost it because your players your main players who have always stepped up chris taylor over four uh max muncie was only one for five trey turner one for five i mean there was just no, no, right. really when, no offense that, I mean, here and there, but nothing in the ninth inning, solid. Cuz came up base hit. So he got on Albert, drove the two of them in with a home run off of Jake McGee. I'd like yes, to, uh, that would be great. Who had a blown save on the first game of the series. In that ninth error, Cuz reached actually on an error. AP, so Albert Pujols home run, drives in both, like you said, takes him to six to four. Trey with a pop-up. Hate pop-up. Max hit a single. Mookie strikes out. And then Justin hit a, a fly ball pop-up that ended up being caught and was reviewed because it looked like it could have been aided by the the netting uh, on the side when uh, when I think it was Yastrzemski made the catch. And, uh, and that was it. It was over with. So one pitch. So Mookie strikes out on a pitch that should have been a ball. Well, that happens a lot in every game. We've seen it and they still didn't do anything. Trey popped up. Why didn't he get on base? You know, I mean, we know there's a lot of reasons, but he, you know, they they get, they, they're impatient at the plate. It feels like sometimes, uh, you know, max singles, but then JT a little too early on something and popped it up. Yeah, too uh, many pop-ups in this series. He was actually series. Right on that pitch because he, he popped it up to right field area. Um, it's just it so was, in a in a series where you know they just came off of a series where they swept the Braves, and in a series where they had to, they really had to win because now. They are at the mercy of the Giants. You know, the Giants, they could have been in the driver's seat in first place. And now the Giants, they have to watch the Giants. 
the right. whole time. And, and they've almost got to become Padre fans because even though the Dodgers have six more games with the Padres, the Giants have 10 more games with the yeah. Padres. Yeah, right. So there's, I know. there's um, you know, neither one of them have got a firm hold, but it feels like the Giants have a little better hold on it because they're playing better baseball across. And they've been having pitching problems coming into this. Um, what's his name? Uh, who on the first night, D, uh, D Sclafani handcuffed him all night long, pretty oh, much yeah. he really controlled yeah. them. And, uh, and then you thought after the, the next two nights for the giants were bullpen games for them. The Dodgers had the first night of a bullpen game. And you think, oh, even with their bullpen, they went to extra innings. Maybe that says something. No, it just said the 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 Dodgers' offense is stalling. The next well, night, it was a bullpen game for the Giants. They were able to do something. So you thought maybe because the last game was a bullpen game for the Giants that they would be able to control that. But the Giants' bullpen, I think, is better than the Dodgers' bullpen. It seems to be. I mean, they. I you. I would think going into Sunday's game, knowing that there was a bullpen game, and you have Walker Bueller on the mound for the Dodgers, but they had just seen these guys the night before. They had seen these guys the night before that, and they couldn't hit them. You know, or they were popping up, or they were grounding out, and it was it was really not a Dodgers team that if you were to look at this as like, this is a team like, all right, you know, we win one, we lose one. It's all right. When we're in September now and now you're, you're behind, you're looking. um, Yeah. It's hard to see them as the, you know, the second best or, or even, you know, tied with, one of the top two teams, the Giants and the Dodgers are going to battle this out, we hope, till the end. Unless the the one thing I think we hope more than a battle out till the end is that um, is that maybe the Giants just collapse and the Dodgers play at least as good as they have been playing. Well, I, I, I brought up Chris Taylor because Chris Taylor, I've mentioned this to you before, when Chris Taylor, not every game, but on the majority of games, when he does not hit, a lot of times the Dodgers lose. Not saying that he's the reason <laughs> that they win, but, but when, he's getting those hits that are needed to score a run. When, and when other when other of the big guns have have struggled through the season, Chris Taylor has pretty much been there to fill in the gaps. Now he's struggling. And nobody's there. Even Will Smith, who had been there uh, doing uh, doing well and and kind of carrying, as we talked about last uh, last week, that he went from 23 games between homers or at bats between homers to nine at bats between homers. He's even kind of fallen off a little bit. Yeah, we know this is going to happen through the year, but somebody else should have been in a spot now where they should be getting hot to take over for where Chris isn't isn't filling that gap right now. Yeah. Over the two series versus Atlanta and versus San Francisco, Chris Taylor was one for 19. And we can't have that. 
we need Chris Taylor to hit. Yep, he's um, got to be he's got part of that. We need. I mean, Trey Turner's getting hits. We need him on base. We need Mookie to to be to be doing as well. Uh, now with um, uh, is it AJ Pollock out? AJ uh, Pollock's so, out, and that puts in Cody Bellinger. Now Cody Bellinger, they hit. Okay, he's not going to hit against. Uh, I think it was left-handed left-handers. Right. Um, he's not, he's going to set, but now he's in center, and you got Chris Taylor in left, so he's in the he's in the mix, and he's got to figure it out because he's draining the he he's a drain right. on on the lineup, and so then you think okay. Who can we get? Who can we get in there to play? You know, that's why I mentioned Matt Beatty because Matt Beatty plays everywhere, and he's somebody. You know, I'm sure he'll he'll find his way back up. But yeah, it's it's going to be uh, interesting to watch the uh, Dodgers head off to St. Louis. Uh, started, uh, I mean, they played the late game on Sunday and uh, right into St. Louis for an earlier game for Labor Day on uh, on Monday. And we'll talk about all of that next week. Uh, and then, of course, uh, right after a four-game set in St. Louis and uh, Albert returning home, which that kind of opens up another conversation, too. The Dodgers are not likely to re-sign Albert at the end of the season. Uh, he's just not going to be a good guy to have on the bench for a, a whole season when you got other things going on. So they're going to let him go. But do you think Albert signs with the Cardinals for one last year? Cause it seems like he's ready for another year and he will play out his career in the last season with Yachty. Cause Yachty has announced he's uh, leaving. He's retiring after next season. Probably Adam Wainwright will probably also be retiring. Do you think he goes back for one last hurrah with his boys? And is he trying to get out of his 10-year services contract with the uh, with Artie Marino? <laughs> well, any contract I think I would want to get out of with Artie Marino. But uh, yeah, no, I, I've seen that. And I think it would be cool for him to go back to St. Louis, especially if they bring, you know, uh, the universal DH, um, where he can just be a DH, um, that's possibility, but yeah, um, very, very big possibility since, uh, and this is something we'll probably talk about more at the end of the season with the new CBA, uh, which is kind of behind in the overall process that they're normally at by now. So we may be talking about no baseball to start next year, but for now, let's relish and enjoy what we have. Yeah, I want to. I would like to see Rick Monday. Love listening to him on the radio, but I would like to see him in the Dodgers dugout because he is the tough love guy. If you listen to him on the radio, it's interesting. I was listening to a game. And Tim Neverett was uh, with him and he mentioned, he said, you know, that call didn't go the Dodgers way and they ended up losing. And Rick Monday's reply was, well, they can't, you know, the Dodgers, they did it to themselves because they did this and they didn't do this. And I thought, man, he needs to be in the dugout 
So when those guys, you know, pop up or whatever they do, he can be right there at the end of the stairs, giving them the, the tough love. So I think the Dodgers need to elevate Rick Monday into the tough love coach in the dugout. That's my vote anyway. Sounds good to me. I think they need a little something, a little boot to the head. All right, they're going to, uh, once they're done in St. Louis, they're coming home to take on the Padres for the second to last series uh, with them, the last six games, first three of the last six. And uh, that brings us to this week's Player of the Week. So as frustrated as I was, especially watching that Sunday game and just like, I can't watch this. Um, But there was one guy who, with the exception of, I think, of one game, who had a hit, made contributions, and that was Corey Seager. He was 7 for 18, two home runs, five RBIs. He had the three walks in Sunday's game, um, had a 388 batting average over this these two series. So Corey Seager is my player of the week. Don't forget that uh, he had a sacrifice fly. Yes. And he didn't ground into a double play. So whether he was ever in a situation where that was the case, he didn't kill anything by doing that. And he was my player of the week as well. Great start to the week for the Angels. Not a bad ending, but a better start. Yankees came to town, and then they also had the Rangers uh, stop in for an odd four-game set that started on Friday and ended on uh, Monday, Labor Day. And in that series with Texas, the Angels helped the Rangers stop a streak. But first, the Yankees in town, and of course... I went to the second game of the uh, of the series. The Yankees look as imposing in person as they do on TV. Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton. I was right near where they were when they were coming out. I was right by the Yankee dugout when they were coming out. Very big. They're just, you know, exactly as you would imagine. There's nothing lost in translation with those guys. Um, first game out, uh, Yankees, uh, they're in Anaheim was a tough game. Eight to seven was the final in game one. The Yankees grabbed two in the first, uh, three in the fifth. And the Angels uh, went about scoring theirs with five in the fourth. Uh, Like I said, it was a tough game. Back and forth. Uh, Fletch, no hits in the game. But the rest of the lineup had at least one hit. Stassi had two. And uh, big guy on that one. Uh, really, though, Shohei hit number 42 off of former teammate Andrew Haney. But it was Jack Mayfield who took Corey Kluber deep with a grand slam. Uh, Force The first four Yankees in their lineup, LeMahieu, Rizzo, Judge, and Stanton, all had two hits each. Stanton had a home run and three RBIs. Uh, Kluber and Haney basically pitched most of the game. Four innings for Kluber, but he gave up five hits and five runs. Haney. Gave up uh, three hits and two runs. For the Angels, it was a bullpen game. Mike Myers started it off. Two innings, two runs. Quijada and Guerra gave up runs to uh, keep the Yankees in it. Now, game two, the game that I went to, another win for the Angels. Six to four win. Now, when I went 50 years ago to my very first game, we beat the Yankees then, too. So it was like a 
There were some differences, obviously, but uh, the uh, Angels answered uh, the the run scored by the Yankees. The Yankees had scored one per in the fourth and fifth innings. The Angels answered with three each in the fourth and the fifth. Jaime Perea pitched pretty well that night. Uh, four and a third, six hits, two runs. He gave up two home runs, one to Anthony Rizzo and the other one to Gary Sanchez. Anthony Rizzo's one was kind of, that was reviewed because it just hit above the yellow line. And Juan Lagares uh, made a bat. He made, he played, he made a 2020 Joe Adele type play on that and just didn't get to it. Uh, so they ended up giving that. Uh, Rizal Iglesias did get his 29th save of the season. Probably the biggest thing that happened, other than that they won, Shohei stole home. It was a double steal. Man left uh, second, which was uh, Phil Gosselin, left first for second. They threw down, and as soon as he saw what was happening, Shohei took off to the plate. It was a close play, but he definitely made it in uh, safe. So it was pretty cool to see him do that. New acquisition from the Rangers, who had DFA'd uh, this guy, Jimmy Herget, was uh, released on the 13th of August. The Angels signed him, sent him to Salt Lake, and then brought him up specifically for this game. He took over for Jaime and really shut them down. Uh, Total shut down by Herget. Gosselin, Shohei walked two times and scored both times. Jared Walsh. Had uh, three RBIs, had a three-run homer. Uh, Jack Mayfield also uh, getting on base, making things happen. And Max Stassi, two for three with a double. Aaron Judge was three for three. Anthony Rizzo, two for four with that home run. They were one for ten with runners in scoring position, so they didn't help themselves against the Angels. I think they could have beat the Angels pretty easily. Uh, going into game three, the final of the uh, the three-game sets, a day game. Packy Naughton, who we picked up last year, he came over with uh, Rysel Iglesias from Cincinnati. And in that trade, uh, you know, he's a rookie. It's first time out. He looks like he should have been playing in the Little League World Series when you look at him. He went three and two-thirds, gave up six hits, three runs. But you also had Garrett Cole on the mound for the Yankees, seven innings, 15 strikeouts. Right. Just gave up that one run. That is a wall that is hard to hit. Yep. And then, like I said, Aaron Judge, his only home run of the series, he hit it there. Luke Voigt drove in uh, two of the runs on two hits. And then LeMahieu and Rizzo both uh, also uh, got in there. C-Sheck gave up the home run. Uh, Patricia, Patricia, Patrika. I said Patrika, but I heard him on the radio after the, after on the way home on uh, on the Tuesday night game and it's Patrichka is his uh, he had two good outings overall you know two out of three versus the Yankees a team that is surging and uh, and definitely going to be in the playoffs so not bad and for the Angels getting to try a lot of different players the Angels released Jose Iglesias he just wasn't playing that well he had two errors in one inning uh, you know, and they just said he's and he's he's at the end of his contract. He said we're we're not gonna he's not gonna stick around. And so now they have a chance to give people like Jack Mayfield a chance to prove themselves. Luis Renifo, 
a chance to prove himself. So there's a lot of young players are getting to come up. Some guys, uh, Elvis Paguero, who I think they need to just let go. He's not pitching very well. Even, you know, oh, he has a couple of good at-bats, but that's it. Patrichka, maybe. I mean, we'll see. But uh, right now we're seeing a lot of auditions for 2022. So that brings in the Rangers. Uh, Shohei on the mound versus them. He went seven innings. Uh, gave up two runs on seven hits and eight strikeouts. He got, uh, you know, two runs for the uh, Rangers were Jason Martin, who had a home run. Really the big gun for the Rangers, Nick Solak, was three for four, and he had a double. Uh, Rysel Iglesias picked up his 30th save in the three to two win. Phil Gosselin, Joe Adele, and Jared Walsh all went with two for four. Gosselin and Walsh each had RBIs. And Marsh had the only extra base hit in the game with a, with a double uh, each side only ran three pitchers out onto the mound that night. So that was kind of surprising because usually at least one of them is going to throw like seven pitchers out there. Uh, game two, another win for the angels. Uh, Juan Lagares hit his fourth home run of the season, had the uh, RBI. The angels only left three in scoring position. Or three on base, I mean. Well, and you also had Jose Suarez on the mound, and he pitched a complete game. Yes, his first ever and the first complete game for the Angels this season. Shohei hit number 43. It was a three-run home run. And uh, so he had three RBIs. Lagarde added that in the four-to-one win. Uh, Kobe Allard, who started for the Rangers, all the damage uh, was uh, to him. And the bullpen gave up just one hit. Uh, Rangers scored. Uh, Adalas Garcia had the RBI. Leody Tavares with one run. And let me just say, we overlooked something, I think, last week or the week before that we were thinking about. And to to give Rangers some due, uh, Adalas Garcia hit a grand slam that helped push the Rangers past the asterisks in a 13-2 route. And we didn't bring that up last week. And... I feel bad because I always like to point out when the asterisks get thumped. So way to go on that one, Rangers. So we move into the Sunday game. And it's a uh, 73 loss for the Angels. It was bound to happen. The Rangers aren't that bad of a team. And they're playing a not that good of a team in the Angels. We've got a lot of different uh, players who are just seeing the majors for the first time. Uh, Jansen Junk, who we got from the Yankees for Haney, uh, made his uh, Angels debut uh, as a starter. Uh, three and two-thirds, six hits. Gave up uh, gave up five runs, two home runs. And the Angels in that game helped break uh, an 0-for-21 streak for the Rangers. Apparently... The Rangers were 0 for 21 this season when wearing their blue jerseys. So, you know, in the radio at the beginning of the show, they're like, well, who made the decision to wear blue jerseys if you can't win in them? Well, just play the Angels and they'll they'll help you out. They're the Angels. Exactly. They help you. They're That's there right. to help. So uh, they finally got a win in their blue jerseys. Uh, a name that we've heard before. And we thought he'd be doing for another team that wears blue jerseys on Sundays, apparently. And shouldn't. 
Apparently not, because we didn't bring that up with the Dodgers wearing their city jerseys or city uniforms. Uh, we think that's the jinx. Uh, DJ Peters, playing for the Texas Rangers, had a pretty decent series overall, but in this game, two home runs and four RBIs in the 7-3 win. Both off all of it off of Jansen Junk. Uh, they got some help from uh, Isaiah Kiner Falafel and Jonah Heim. Uh, and then a one run scored. And I the reason I only reason I bring that up is it was scored by Nathaniel. Don't call me Nate Lowe. His name is Nathaniel Lowe, not Nate Lowe. So remember that. Nathaniel. It was uh, that game though for the Angels was the Joe Adele show. He drove in all three runs, two home runs off of the starter, Taylor Hearn, who went seven innings, seven hits, three runs, and two of those home runs all, of course, Joe Adele. Uh, Jack Mayfield had a uh, had a pretty good game, and Luis Renjifo, both of those guys went two for four. Bull, kind of bullpen game. Junk, maybe not living up to his name fully, but isn't that a credit? It's like, uh, what's his name? The guy, uh, who did he pitch for? Bummer. Yeah. The unfortunate names, Jansen Junk, unless he throws nothing but curveballs and knuckleballs and screwballs, that's a that's a crazy name. Uh, and then uh, Hergit pitched again. He gave up a run. Patrichka with a run. And Paguera did not give up any runs when he pitched. No hits, no runs. He had a pretty decent uh, game there. And then that led us to the finale, the Labor Day finale, Angels and Rangers, and all I can say is that the Angels had one bright spot in this game. They got shut out four to nothing. There's nothing to speak of offensively. Jaime Berea gave up the runs, but he looked really good overall. At one point, he had uh, retired 14 Rangers in a row. So that was a strong point of that game, and really... Kind of, um, I think it's an above average week because you beat the Yankees and you won one series and split the other one. So they end up with a, uh, what, a four and three week. Um, they're not making any up or any ground anywhere. Uh, that's when I was looking back at the, at the Dodgers and the Giants. The Dodgers were four and two on the week. The Giants were three and four. The Dodgers didn't gain any ground because they couldn't win when they needed to. They were at one point all alone in first place, half game up, but right going in when they swept Atlanta. But, oh, well. Uh, so the Angels, like I said, they're just uh, they're trying guys out. They're playing out the string. Most guys are on the injured list. I don't know if it's worth bringing back some of these guys who might could come back by the end of the season. Justin Upton just got added to the injured list. Upper lumbar strain. Right. These back issues they're having on the Angels, too. What's going on? They don't have don't, the right I mattresses? Think, Do they I need some tempopedics? Do they need some? It's. Uh, I think they're getting junk sleep is the new. I mean, I know they have the pitcher junk, but this is you're getting junk sleep where you just aren't getting good So he sleep. comes into your room and and <laughs> and uh, gets in, steals the covers from you, bangs into you. Yes, it's his throws, fault. Throws <laughs> curveballs at you while you're trying to sleep. Uh, yeah, junk sleep. <laughs> junk sleep. So uh, you know, it's honestly, I can't say that it was bad or good. This was just normal. Yeah, 
it's a normal normal week for the the angels. And now they they have a tough week ahead as far as their opponents go. They've got uh, two with San Diego in San Diego before they uh, head off to Southeast Texas to take on the Asterix for three. And then they're going to continue that road trip heading up to, um, what do they call that? Uh, I don't know what it's, what it's called. Chicago. What's uh, Comiskey Field is oh, like. I don't know what, the co- I don't I don't know what know, they call it. Cellular one or so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what they call it anymore. That's why I always refer back just to the old, you know, like Candlestick Park, Comiskey Park, just, you know. Just- so they're going back to New Comiskey. And they'll take yeah. on the White Sox then as part of the road trip. But that's down the road just a little bit. We got to deal with San Diego and Houston before that. Uh, so that brings us to the player of the week. Who you got? So this one was tough, uh, as it usually is sometimes with the Angels. I thought about um, I thought about going with a pitcher, but I went with Phil Goslin, who one game he didn't. Um, I kind of have a theme here with my players of the week. One game where he didn't have a hit, but every other game he had a hit. Uh, He had three RBIs. um, It was six for 22. So, I mean, not like spectacular, but he's had better better games, uh, better series, but he was getting on base. My other choice was Rizel Iglesias, who got his 28th, 29th, and 30th save. So, uh, but I, I, I wanted to go uh, with uh, Phil Goslin this week. All right. Well, yeah, the goose was loose, and uh, he's always one of my favorites now, the way he plays, solid in there. But uh, I went a different direction, and you might even gasp when I tell you this. Uh, one of the things that caught me about this guy's week, he only walked one time, but he only struck out three times in his 22 plate appearance. And normally on a week he has seven or eight so I was impressed by that. Two home runs, four RBIs, and a 333 average. Joe Adele is my. Is that shock I hear from your side? I'm uh, speechless. I don't know even what to say. I um, don't think I can go on with the show. That's probably best. <laughs> we should just call it here. Anyway, Joe Adele uh, is potentially the only time he'll ever be my player of the week, but I think he deserved it. Time to take a look around the league. The Cubs had a couple of four-run homers uh, in their week. And, uh, in fact, there was one day it seemed like Grand Slams were just all over the place. Uh, But first, let's take a look at uh, the players of the month of August, the pitchers and players and that from, uh, from August. Yes, our players of the month, for the American League is Jose Abreu, who uh, also won this award in August of last year. He led all uh, American League hitters with 74 total bases spread across 28 games. He also ranked among the AL's best in home runs, OPS, RBIs, and runs scored. And this is the fourth time in his career that he has been named Player of the Month. For the National League, we go to Denver and C.J. Crone. This is his first career National League Player of the Month award. His month of August, he dominated 
Um, he paced all NL hitters in batting average at 387, 11 home runs, 34 RBIs, 1.291 OPS, and 77 total bases. So he is definitely the bright spot for the Rockies. Yeah, definitely. And we move into our pitchers of the month. Robbie Ray made six August starts for Toronto. And uh, they're still trying to grab that wild, a wild card spot, but he is the AL pitcher of the month. He pitched 41 innings with a 1.76 ERA going at least six innings and allowing no more than two runs in each outing opponents batted 188 with a 478 OPS against him. He also struck out 52 batters and walked only eight. So he's the AL Pitcher of the Month. And the NL Pitcher of the Month, Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, he has gone, he's had some injuries, but he, in his 26 starts, um, he's 13 and 7 with a 2.97 ERA. And he has an MLB leading three complete games over the season. So he is the NL Pitcher of the Month. We talked last week about Wander Franco and that he was in rarefied uh, territory with his on-base streak. And uh, he has now tied Mickey Mantle. We're getting on base 36 times. So he is tied with uh, the Mick. And who knows, will he get past him? I guess we'll know next week, won't we? That's right. For sure. Uh, in Cincinnati, the Reds are battling for the wild card spot. Uh, the second wild card spot was San Diego. They've been back and forth uh, while they were playing St. Louis. Uh, manager there, Mike Schilt, decided that after Nick Castellanos hit his second home run of the game in back to back at bats, that that bat needed to be checked for substances or whatever. Yeah. Was it sticky? Did he put too much pine tar? Was he pulling a George Brett? He wasn't. They didn't find anything. And there was also, I guess, a chip at the top of his bat. Oh, right. They knew about because they were like, wait, did he put like corking? The bat was always a big thing. Right. uh, While there, he didn't do anything. He just had a he just was able to see a couple of pitches that were mistakes by Schilt's pitcher, the Cardinals pitcher, and uh, he took them deep. Talking about uh, taking people deep, uh, Marlins and Mets had both of them had their leadoff hitters hit first pitch home runs. Miguel Rojas for the Marlins and then Jonathan Villar for the Mets. Uh, first pitch they saw. They t- and, and they were the, the leadoff hitters. They took them deep. It's the first time it's happened since it's been tracked, which started in 1988. The uh, pitch counts were tracked in 1988, which probably was a bright spot for the Mets. They beat the Marlins 4-3. to three. They haven't had too many bright spots with all of the controversy going around lately and then booing their fans and then apologizing about it. And then um, I think that uh, Francisco Lindor, when I heard his apology, he actually sounded like, man, I was just following Baez. I don't know what I was doing. I'm sorry. I, have, I didn't his really. New, yeah, I didn't think that through. Yeah, Javi Buaz, as some <laughs> like to call him now. Um, but, you know, the Mets, they 
since the whole thumbs down incident, they uh, won five games. They lost two. So I guess everything is okay in Queens for now. Well, if you look by the at the standings, they're at 500 now. They had been well above 500. I think that uh, the flushing is still an appropriate place for them to be in play based on how their season's going now. Uh, right now it's up to, the, I think there's two battles uh, in in baseball generally uh, that are two pennant races for the division. And that would be the NL, both of them in the NL, the East with Atlanta and Philadelphia uh, doing it. And then the, uh, the West with the Dodgers just being uh, a game behind San Francisco. They're going to be, uh, battling that out, and um, and then who knows what's going to happen in the East. I think all the other division uh, divisions are pretty much locked up. It would take a, a quite a losing streak and quite a winning streak simultaneously for that to change. Uh, so Starling Castro, who we talked about recently, uh, had a domestic violence suspension. Uh, that suspension is now ended, and true to their words he was released by the nationals he said he will never play here again and they released him so mike rizzo stuck to it dave martinez went along with it not that he had any choice but uh boom that's that's done starling castro is no longer playing for anybody we'll have to see if somebody takes a chance on him uh, again soon and with that, to say, to, for something that I found funny, uh, have you seen the Nationals play lately? No, I have not. Yeah, and I'm not going to be <laughs> laughing about how they're playing. The other day, uh, the, whoever their third baseman is, I'd never heard of him, but his last name is spelled K-I-E-B-O-O-M. Kaiboom. So instead of All right. Anthony Rendon on there, they have an explosion. They've got a big kaboom <laughs> on uh, third base. All right. <laughs> I'll just shut up now. I don't know that that would. Uh, <laughs> I've been sitting there since I saw that thinking that would be a fun. That would be fun. I guess. No, it wasn't that much fun. <laughs> what was fun was the Cubs. Two four-run homers in the same game to go ahead and then to go ahead again to win it. Uh, Matt Duffy in the second. And then Frank Schwindel. That sounds like an old-timey baseball name. It does. That he'd be playing and playing in, like, New York or Chicago. Yeah, Schwindel. Yeah. Schwindel. He hit his in the seventh. Uh, Grand Slams, uh, the one in the seventh was the one that put it away for the Cubs to get the win. And then another four-run homer came at, uh, what is it, uh, Family First or American Family or something like that ballpark in Milwaukee? Yeah. Uh, I think it's funny that their I'm thing is Family First and the name of the team is Brewers. <laughs> Daniel Vogelberg. Gets up off the bench where he's been sitting there watching the game. Vogelback. Right, Vogelback. <laughs> or Bach, Vogelbach, Vogelback. 
That's right. I don't know why I said I think because Vogelberg just sounds more natural than Vogelbach. Yeah. I don't know why. Anyway, so Danny comes to the plate and does something that no other brewer has done this season. Hits a walk-off home run. How crazy is that? It's September. No walk-off home run. And they're leading the division. Yeah, 11 games. They're running away with the Central. Yeah, Cincinnati's 11 games uh, behind Milwaukee. So, yeah, you would have thought. By now, there would have been something. I guess maybe they're winning that convincingly. They don't need any walk-offs. Not only was it a walk-off home run, it was a walk-off grand slam for Vogelbach to win the game for the Brewers after sitting on the bench, coming in, do a little pinch hitting, and boom. All right. So as we talked about, we've mentioned a couple times with the um, with the standings, the divisional races really are, for the most part, are done, with the exception of the couple we mentioned. The wild card is still in play, more in the American League than uh, the National League. The Dodgers or the Giants, whoever wins the West, will firmly have the first wild card. That's nobody's going to because they're like 14 games up the american league however uh the yankees are have the first one and the red sox have the second one uh the yankees are just a half game up on the red sox and then you've got toronto seattle and then oakland and we were talking about that oakland is out of the american league west race the asterisks firmly have that i believe but oakland is fading hard and now they're about three, three and a half games out. I think three and a half games out, Seattle and Toronto are uh, are battling for those spots. Uh, right now, it looks like it'll be the Yankees and the Red Sox unless uh, something changes uh, in that. And then in the West, San Diego and Cincinnati are game apart for the uh, final wild card spot. Philadelphia is two games back. St. Louis at three and a half. And the flushed Mets are fading fast, four and a half games back. So they're going to have to leapfrog three other teams to get there. And I don't see that happening. I could see maybe Philly making a run. uh, But I I believe it's going to come down between Cincinnati and San Diego. Any uh, thoughts from your side? No, I concur. All right. Well, then, if that's how you feel about it, I think it's time to take a wheel, a ride on the wheel of Iyo. There's a lot of guys on the IL this week, but I want to give an update on Kenta Maeda. We talked about him undergoing surgery. Weren't sure he's going to be elbow, was going to be Tommy John. What was it going to entail? He did undergo Tommy John surgery last week, and they uh, put an internal brace um, that could help him return in 9 to 12 months. So a little bit sooner than, you know, what we normally see with Tommy John. So keep an eye on Kenta Maeda, but he did have successful surgery, Tommy John surgery last week. 
looking around the league, we have Chris Martin, the pitcher of the Atlanta Braves. He is on the 10-day IL with elbow inflammation. And then we move to Chicago where we have Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, and Lucas Giolito all on the IL. Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito both hamstrings. So that's, you know, before we were having the obliques. Now it's the hamstrings. Right. Uh, Lance Lynn with a right knee inflammation. So that uh, for Chicago, we'll see. I mean, they are they are up, um, you know, Cleveland's 10 games back. Um, I don't think that'll be an issue for them, but definitely a loss, um, you know, with Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito out. Miguel Rojas, I, he's listed as day-to-day. He's not officially on the 10-day IL, but I wanted to mention what his, never heard this before, left trapezius soreness. Trapezius. Yes. So it is either of a pair of large triangular muscles extending over the back of the neck and shoulders and moving the head and shoulder blade. So learn something new on SRBB, trapezius. Wow, we had obliques and now trapezius. Let's see how how many trapezius uh, injuries there are now. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to keep a tracker on it. We have Willie Adonis of the Brewers has a strained left quadriceps. Brandon Nemo out for the Mets, which is a loss for them as they've been, you know, he's been one of the ones that has been a really great offense offensively. He has a hamstring injury. Mitch Moreland of the A's got a wrist injury, but he's going to be on the IL longer than 10 days, according to the team. So not helpful for Oakland if they want to try to just go on this crazy run. That's not going to happen. Chris Bryant um, is listed as day-to-day with wrist discomfort. I think he's had some wrist discomfort in the past over this season. So we'll see if he gets on the 10-day IL. Mike Yastrzemski is day-to-day. Austin Slater is on the 7-day IL for uh, concussion. Um, that he suffered in the uh, Rockies-Giants game. Alex Dickerson and Wilmer Flores, both also on the 10-day IL, no listing there. So I know the Giants have had some COVID issues. Not sure if they are falling into that, um, onto that list or not. And then Johnny Cueto, with had was on the COVID, I think it was a contact tracing, but he's back on the on the or he hasn't left. He's on the 10 day IL um, with a strained right elbow. And the last one that we have to mention is George Springer, who is day to day again with a left knee contusion in a game against the Yankees that happened on Labor Day. And, um, you know, he just can't shake it. He gets off, he's on. It's like the merry-go-round. It's on and off. He just keeps spinning. So Make up your be, mind, in or out. That's right. <laughs> so that is the will of IL now, for this week. There are issues that we brought up last week 
that seem to continue COVID wise in Boston. And I noticed on the Labor Day game versus uh, the Rays that many of the players in the dugout had their mask on, which we haven't really seen this year. Yeah, Boston has about, I want to say it's like 10 players uh, that have that have either been or are currently on that COVID list. Uh, Kike Hernandez was one. He, um, he came back this week. Uh, and that's possibly because he is vaccinated. And so maybe, you know, it shortens the, the time of, you know, I'm not sure how that works. Your but, isolation or whatever. Yeah. But then you mentioned um, Jose Iglesias being released by the Angels. He was picked up by Boston, who he actually started with um, at the beginning of his career, uh, because Xander Bogarts is out on the COVID list. So yeah, it's really, they're falling like dominoes in, uh, in Boston. Not sure what's going on up there, but yeah, the, well, they uh, gave up like a eight run lead in that game. So yeah, we'll talk about that next week if need be. Um, and then, uh, one other guy that we, uh, we discussed thinking about maybe he would come to the Dodgers, even though he's postseason ineligible, he would have been a, a nice player to add to the bullpen, and that's Brad Hand, uh, who, where did he end up at? The Mets? Yeah, he was released uh, by the Blue Jays. He was picked up by the Mets. So, you know, good. He, he's always been a good uh, pitcher. He's had some issues uh, this season, but, you know, we'll see. The Mets at this point, not, you know, doesn't matter that he can't pitch in the, in the postseason, But that's probably why when I saw that he had been released and like, everybody's like, well, the Dodgers, maybe they'll get him. Um, but he's not eligible for postseason, So that makes sense that they wouldn't go after him. Why bother? But they need, they need arms down the stretch, even though they're in the postseason already, you need, you need to maybe be able to rest some of these arms and get yourself set. Like I said, last week, set up, the rotation. Well, I didn't mention, you know, it's kind of a downer for the Dodgers. I was, you know, just irritated, frustrated with them with their performance in San Francisco. But there are there's some good news. Clayton Kershaw um, is doing a rehab start in Oklahoma City this week. Uh, Tony Gonsolin is uh, rehabbing with the uh, Quakes in Rancho Cucamonga. And you also have Scott Alexander, who has been on the IL with shoulder inflammation, but he also, he's been doing some rehab in Arizona, so they could see him coming back. So uh, the addition of uh, Kershaw back in the rotation is huge for the Dodgers, and then the addition of Gonsolin and Alexander potentially um, in the bullpen is really, you know, something hopeful in my um, downer Dodger report this week. (laughs) And that'll do it for this week's Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Remember, you can find us on our website, siblingrivalrybb.com and on Facebook and Instagram at siblingrivalrybb. We're also on Twitter at siblingrivalrybb without the A. Email us, show, at siblingrivalrybb.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to our podcast. 
next week on SRBB, we all turn 21. <laughs>